So let's get into this super fast. First thing I want to talk about today, and I hope this isn't like, it doesn't feel like the news or anything, but I just see so much stuff come across and me being, I don't know. I I just have that, that youth pastor tendency in me to kind of talk about these like big things going on and, and how we can make sense of it. And I've just been thinking so much lately about this whole thing with Joshua Harris. And then this Hillsong former worship leader comes out and talks about how, you know, he doesn't know if he believes in God anymore. And I thought John Cooper's response to that was so, so good. So I'm going to hop over here real quick and I'm going to pull it up. Make sure that we've got, make sure that we've got this full thing pulled up. All right. So before I jump into that, let me say this real quick. It always, I think of this a lot. There's something, there's this kind of power that we don't talk about. And what made this post pop out to me so much was the fact that like, John Cooper never publicly calls out anybody, right? Like I've followed Skillet for a long time now. I don't remember John Cooper ever doing anything like that. And if you're, if you're worried, I'm going to read the whole article. I'm not because you can, you can read it. I shared it over on my personal Facebook page if you want to watch it, but the title of it caught my, caught my eye. What in God's name is happening in Christianity? So if you don't, no, I guess I should probably pull that up too. that article from this worship leader. We're just going to catch up on what's happening in the world. Relevant magazine. Where is this? I'm sure it's one of the trending ones right now. It's not. Oh, seriously. There it is. Former Hillsong. Former Hillsong singer Marty Sampson clarifies that he hasn't renounced his faith. So let's go back to his original announcement. Hillsong songwriter Marty Sampson says he's losing his Christian faith. Marty Sampson is a prolific worship music writer writing and co-writing songs for Hillsong Worship, Hillsong United, Delirious, and young and free. And so it kind of goes about talking about his history behind. So here's what, here's what he says. I'm going to, I'm going to read this. Then we're going to talk for a minute. Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy now. So at peace with the world. It's crazy. This is a soapbox moment. So here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four people, four billion people to a place all because they don't believe it? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I am not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. So let's go back to that other article real quick. 
So, be before I say anything about that, I will point out that this video quality is terrible. But we're all about starting here on the Family Thoughtcast. I feel like deconstruction right now in Christianity is like the cool thing to do. You know, it's it's almost like we're just looking for things to pick apart. And here's one of the big complaints. And John Cooper pointed it out in his article. Like, you're claiming that nobody's talking about these things, but people have been talking about them for, I mean, since the church has been around. I mean, for him to say that nobody's talking about a loving God sending people to hell is like, has he ever shared the gospel with anybody? I mean, most people, when you share the gospel with them, that's the response. They'll say, I can't believe in a God who would do that. And, and that's, a, that's a whole nother episode. But you begin to wonder, like, what has this guy been doing? Like, who has he been talking to? And let me, let me throw this in the comments if you want to read it. I'll just kind of keep this going as the post goes on. So then it goes on to say, I have and continue to analyze the arguments of prominent Christian apologists and biblical scholars and am open-minded enough to consider the arguments of atheist debaters and debaters from other religions. If the truth is true, it will remain so regardless of my understanding of it. If I search it out, surely it will become even more clearly seen as a truth it is. Examining a diamond more closely reveals the quality of the diamond. As I am still breathing, I am still learning. And so... It just kind of blows my mind. And I've been going through this lately. Just chewing on how somebody can be a Christian for so long. And then fall away. And I and I wish I had an answer to that discussion, you know. That's another question that people have been asking for a gazillion years. You know, how is it that somebody like this does so much for the kingdom of God, you know, living for the Lord, striving to please the Lord. And then it just comes out that they don't believe it anymore. I mean, Billy Graham had people on his team, you know, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but it's, you know, he came out and said he didn't believe in God anymore. And, and what I can't wrap my head around is just, you know, how you can follow the Lord for so many years and then just it all falls away and I, I it makes me think of the scripture with the farmer throwing the seed and some of it fell and the birds caught it some of it fell on shallow soil but some of it fell on good soil and I, I guess the thing that I always keep coming back to is that that passage never really tells us how long that process takes so the question is, you know, is it possible to lose our salvation? And the response I've always had to that is, you know, how can you lose something that you didn't really earn? And so then it's, well, was he ever a Christian to begin with? And, and, and I wish I had the answers to it, you know? So let me get back. Let me get back. I'm getting a little sidetracked. Man, this is wild. This whole... This whole live podcasting is wild. I'm going to zoom in here a little bit. All right. 
Let's jump over this John Cooper article. I had to zoom in a little bit, so this may look a little funny. Okay, I'm saying it. Because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, they are being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others. For what purpose? As they announce that they are leaving the faith, I'll state my conclusion. Then I'll state some rebuttals of statements I've read by some of them. Firstly, I never judge people outside of my faith. Even if they hate religion or Christianity, that is not my place. And I have many friends who disagree with my religion. And that is 100% fine with me. However, when it comes to people within my faith, there must be a measure of loyalty and friendship and accountability to each other and to the word of God. A man. My conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influences or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me. I've been saying for 20 years and seemed probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern worship songs rather than from the teachings of the word. I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends, many who would agree with me in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. So he goes on to say, and here's the one that stuck out to me. There is a common thread running through these leaders and influencers that basically says that no one else is talking about the real stuff. This is just flatly false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader statement, the one we just read, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it as if he is the first person to talk about this. Bazinga, maybe? <laughs> the, the, the first one I thought of. So if, if you remember a couple years ago, let me show that John Cooper article real quick if you want to go read it. This, these are all in the comments if you're watching later on Facebook Live. So I remember when I first saw the headline that Josh Harris came out and said that he re regretted putting I Kiss Dating Goodbye out. And that was so powerful to me because I had a youth pastor that just loved that book. And I, I, I'd heard of so many stories of how it just revolutionized people's dating and even their marriages. So for somebody to come out and say, hey, I regret this book was was really profound to me. And he's got a TED talk that's really good about it. And so they say that there's a documentary coming out. So the documentary comes out and I watched the documentary. And if you haven't watched this documentary, it is so powerful and it really changed kind of my thinking about the purity culture. I never really knew that much to begin with within it. But the thing that stuck out to me from this documentary was the fact that he was like 20 years old when he wrote this book and he wasn't dating and he, he wasn't married. So like we've got this guy writing a book on courtship and marriage and he's not even married. Then he's pastoring a church at 25 years old, which is just insane 
you know, that this guy's lifted up to success like that. And so I was really following it closely and a, a red flag came up when he was in an interview with Preston Sprinkle because Preston Sprinkle um, really interviews. I don't, I don't even know how to qualify or classify the people that he interviews. He really just is like a think outside the box kind of person, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't view him as a deconstructionist or anything like that, but he's got an interview with Josh Harris over on his website. I'm just typing this in real quick so I can put it in the show notes. Just if you're a podcast nerd like me, I just, I eat podcasts up, dude. David, Kaylee, Cameron, Joy. Thanks for watching the podcast. Let me copy this link real quick and I'm going to keep talking. I really need to get better at multitasking. So he said in this interview, and this interview came out in February. He said, I never want to be a pastor again. And I was like, huh? And, And that was kind of the first red flag for me. I mean, to look at such a large chapter of his life and to say, I never want to do that again. Just kind of raise a f- red flag for me. And then, I mean, he he was quiet for a short period of time. And then it came out that he and his wife were getting divorced. And then it came out that, you know, he was thankful for the love and support. And then he, then he threw something really weird in there about the LGBTQ. Um, some people think that that's alluding to him as coming out as gay. I don't know. But here's here's the recurring theme that I'm seeing. And, and John Cooper hit the nail on his head. Like, why are we letting all of these 20-year-old influencers, you know, dictate our thinking? And it's, and it's scary because I will say this as a 23-year-old. I don't have that much wisdom. I mean, you put me up against, you know, some really some really solid Christian thinkers. I mean, I've been a Christian for less than 10 years. Um, I've only been married for like three years. And I think we're in a dangerous, I think we're in a dangerous spot right now as a society when it is so really easy to be a social media influencer. I mean, there's, it would be interesting to see like, how many, how many just like regular Joes there are on the internet that have like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram? It's or should I say I shouldn't say an, an, I guess you're an influencer, but it's crazy the amount of people in the world right now that have mass followings because social media makes that so easy, right? So I think what we have to do about this is we're social media. I mean, just fills our fills our brains with noise. I mean, you turn on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I feel like Instagram is just everybody trying to impress each other. And on Twitter, everybody is mad at each other. And uh, I'm kind of good with Facebook right now, but you know, there's, there's just so much noise. and, And as this noise increases and there's more social media and there's more access to other people's opinions, it's all the more reason to be in the word, right? Like we, we need to be digging in. We need to be reading the Bible, discerning truth, discerning what's wisdom and what's just really good earthly worldly knowledge. 
And and that's a, that's a really good transition to my next point. I feel like with social media and in this era of influencers, it's so hard to do anything. And and, and I'll just speak from a personal viewpoint. And if this resonates with you, let me know in the comments. But in this world of social media influencers, and I mean, there's an audience for everything. I mean, if you collect Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle lunchboxes, I bet you could start a podcast and get a pretty solid following, right? And so there's this pressure in the back of our minds that's like, can I really do something purely for the fun of it? You know, because I don't know about you. This is speaking from a personal point, but anytime I think about something I'm good at, it comes, the thought comes into my brain. How can I be successful with this? Is this something I could do and make a living? Is this something I can do and find a following with, you know? And that's, that's not, that's such a, and it's, my friend Brock Barkus and I were talking about this and it's like termites. Like you don't even realize when it starts coming and then all of a sudden you're, you're burned out and you're discouraged over this dream you had. And you're like, what burned me out? And it was like, Oh, this stopped being fun a long time ago. For example, when, when I did photography really full time, Um, I dealt with a couple customers that were really just nasty. I was doing, I was doing photo shoots every week. Wasn't even really doing the kind of photo shoots that I wanted to do. And I just got burned out. And I, and I thought of it was, and it's like, okay, how did I, how did I go from a point where like, this was a blast and it was my favorite thing to do and turn that to like burned out, stressed out and frustrated. And I looked at it and I was like, it stopped being fun. I was like, well, why did it stop being fun? And it's just like, it's because it's, it's this comparison on social media. Like, if I can't be successful at this, is it worth doing? And a lot of times our answer is no, if we're honest. And isn't that sad that like, we might not even want to do anything fun. And And I'm not saying it's wrong to want to find success with what you're good at. I think that is a great thing. But when it begins to suck the joy out of something that started for fun, it's not a good thing anymore. I I, I mean, I think of photography, like I bought, I bought a, like a DSLR camera because I, I started to really enjoy taking pictures with my phone and it got to the point where it was like, I want to get something better. And so I saved up a ton of money for my first DSLR just loved it, took it everywhere, was taking friends' pictures, and then and then I make a Facebook account, and then I'm I got people contacting me that I don't even know, and I'm doing family family photos for people I don't know, and the kids and their family don't like me. They don't want to smile for the pictures, and the parents are frustrated that you know their kids don't want to have their picture taken with me, and it was like this isn't fun anymore. And 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 let me just be real with you. I mean, I, it was last November that I really took a break from photography and video and that spark's still not there, but it's coming back. Like I've been itching lately to do another video and the engine show is coming up and 
But but I think the question we all need to ask ourselves is am I cool with doing something just for the fun of it? You know? Like does everything have to be big and successful and turn into something or can we just do something for the fun of it? You know? Let me look at my notes. We're moving on. I lost Evernote. Found Evernote. Man, four four or five people watching. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Ooh, here's a fun one. Let's talk about the Enneagram. Hey, let me know in the comments what number you are on the Enneagram, or let me know if you have no idea what the Enneagram is. So, the Enneagram, I just started taking notice of it three or four years ago was when I first heard about it and to and and like all of the people that i that i saw you know hey mary how are you um all of the people that i saw that were posting about it were kind of like i mean they're the same people that are drinking Lacroix. david said he has no clue what the what his enneagram number is we'll get to that in a minute no idea man this is going to be exciting um and I'm like, this is just some hipster thing. And people are like, oh, I'm a two. I'm such a seven. And it sounds like, you know, this cool little inside joke. So let me, this is going to be a fun conversation. I love seeing all this interaction in the comments. Uh, What was that guy's name? Don Miller, Ian Morgan Cron. There it is. So I kind of blew off the Enneagram. I'm like, all of these hipsters that I'm keeping up with, like, they think it's cool. And like, it's you know, it's, it's whatever. It's this next big thing. Crap. People are talking about where are the show notes to this? Cause they were really good. Okay. There they are. And and then, so I'm scrolling through my podcasts and I see this podcast called, can the Enneagram make you a more effective leader? And I am like, what in the world can I, there we go. I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this right up here. No, thanks. I don't want the free online course. I'll let the competition watch. <laughs> so I'm watching, I, I see this podcast come up and I'm like, okay, wait a second. This is not the cool hipster thing anymore. There's, there's something, there's something going on here with this Enneagram thing. If, if it can actually like make me a better leader. And so Here's what the Enneagram is in a nutshell. There are nine different types of people, people, or he, he words it this way. The Enneagram is simply an ancient personality framework. There are nine core types and we tend to gravitate toward one of them in our youth as a way of coping with them in the world. Let me, let me copy this, throw it in the comments. That way I don't forget to do it. So what is your type? And and so I didn't know, I didn't know what the Enneagram was. I didn't know what Enneagram number I was until 
I started listening to this podcast and they described my number five and I was like, that's me. And it, and it freaked me out, dude. I felt honestly, I felt violated. Cause I'm like, they know things about me. I didn't think anybody knew about. So each personality test out there, disc Myers Briggs is useful for helping us understand ourselves, but the Enneagram goes deeper. It doesn't just describe traits. It also identifies the underlying motivations that drive the way people think, feel and behave. So type one, the perfectionist. And so if, if you hear in here, one that sticks out to you, let me know. We'd love to hear if you think what number you are. So type one is the perfectionist also called the reformer ones are out to make the world the best it can be. They're often people who put a high value on justice and idealism. Ralph Nader is a great example of a one. I'm going to level with you. I have no idea who that is. As Ian says, these are the folks who want to be perfect. They need to perfect the environment usually, and they want to perfect other people, which isn't always appreciated. So there's type one. My, my mom is a type one and I don't say that in a mean way. Like she told me she's a type one. Um, I know some other people that are type ones, but (laughs) not going to go there. Type two, the helper. When I think of a two, I think of a nurse. These are the people who will just stop by your desk and ask, is there anything I can help you with? Ian told me that they want to feel appreciated, but they really want to come in and create an environment where it's nurturing. People feel cared for. As a result, twos can often feel underappreciated. They aren't attuned to the needs. Oh, sorry. They're attuned to the needs of others and feel hurt when the appreciation isn't reciprocated. Type three, the performer. Threes want to avoid looking like a loser. Image is everything. Ian describes them as people who want to work and succeed and accomplish tasks, productivity, efficiencies. They want to avoid failure at all costs. This is a pretty common type for entrepreneurs and achievers, and they're often very successful in their roles because the alternative is unthinkable. They'll prioritize success at work over a lot of other things, including their health and families. So, so here's something, here's something really, really, here's the, one of the biggest things I've taken away from the Enneagram. Let me fix this, the title of this post real quick. The Enneagram helped me understand people that I thought were super weird. Okay. For example, a three. I'm sure we can all think of some people that are like super driven by success and really, so we can say we're a three and what we learn from this is like, there are unhealthy people striving after success and there are healthy people striving after success. And so, so maybe you're listening to this and you discover that you're a type three you say, you know what? I am the performer. I'm always chasing after success. I'm always chasing after the next big thing. What the Enneagram helps us do is learn, okay, say, hey, this is the way I am. These are some of my struggles. We're not we're just scratching the surface of the Enneagram. Okay. And what the Enneagram does is is if you resonate with, for example, for the number three, if you if you discover like you're the performer, then the Enneagram will help you look like will help you learn what it looks like to be a healthy three or an unhealthy three. 
it, does that make any sense? Let me know in the comments. All right, moving on. Type four, the romantic. Fours are the feelers. They want to express their deepest emotions and feelings. In terms of the work world, they really want to bring a unique and special contribution to the company or the people they're working with. Their work is personal and unique, often with an artistic bent, and they want their contributions to be recognized as such. Okay? Type 5, the investigator. This is your boy. Fives are your researchers, the people who will surround themselves with information regardless of its relevance or importance. Fives have a need to understand and perceive. These are people who want objective information and they want to aggregate as much of that information as they can get their hands on. They're also the most emotionally detached of the nine types and they can easily get lost in their own data jungles. Type six, the loyalist. Sixes are worried about problems. They're worst case scenario thinkers. As Ian puts it, they want to know what's happening. They suspect that everybody has a hidden agenda and they want to know what it is. My wife Betsy is a six and this probably explains why it took her so long to agree to go out with me. In the office, it's great to have a six in the room who can throw a flag when your schemes get unrealistic. Their ability to anticipate problems can help you avoid them. Their need for security also makes them incredibly loyal and committed to your team once you've earned their respect. And so and so here's what that can kind of look like sometimes in, in different areas of our lives. We we it seems like we all know those people and it's just like their gift is finding out what is wrong with plans. And so we can think that that is super annoying or we can say, you know what? They're a six. Okay. That's where the Enneagram is helpful is. I mean, it, it, it really helps me understand people better. Okay. Excuse me. So we can look at that and say, you know what? It's important for me to have this person around because they're going to pick up on things that I would have never thought about. I work with a lady named Deb. Deb is great at pointing out things that may cause problems. She's not a negative Nancy. She's not a negative person, but she definitely has a gift for pointing out things and say, okay, what are we going to do about that? And I'm like, whoa, I never thought of that. Right? So it's not a pessimist. It's the loyalist, you know, their ability to, and their, their ability to anticipate problems can help you avoid them. It's powerful stuff. Type seven, the enthusiast. I know a lot of sevens. Uh, my friend Trey Van Camp is a seven. Uh, a friend of mine, Jesse Longsworth, is a seven. If you know Bob Goff, Bob Goff is a seven. Sevens are the life of the Enneagram party. They are out to find the most exciting, positive, stimulating experiences that life can give them. And I didn't know this about sevens, but Ian told me they are also adventurous thinkers who can see overlapping patterns and tap into new hybrid ideas. They are what Ian calls rocket boosters who are an amazing asset at the beginning of a venture because they are relentlessly optimistic about the future. As a result, their attention spans tend to be short. So they will do a top-notch job getting something off the ground, but don't ask them to manage it. Instead, redirect their energy to something new. Type 8, the challenger. When 8s walk into a room, you know it. These are the people who are gigantic presences. In Ian's words, they are dominating, domineering, and overly blunt. 
Let me scoot this over so you can see. Just realize that. Oops, my bad. <laughs> they want and need to be in control of the environment. Does a certain elected public official come to mind? Eights test you to see where the power is. Understanding the eights on your team is critical. In Ian's words, they need to know that you're in charge, that you have the moxie to lead them, that you will make decisions and stick to them and not equivocate. Is that how you say that word? I don't know. They're also unafraid to tell the truth and shoot straight with you, which is a wonderful asset to any business. Ian points out that Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa were both eights, saying that power in the hands of love can change the world. Type nine, the peacemaker. My wife is a nine. We can't forget the nines, although the nines often forget about themselves. As Ian says, they have a real need to avoid conflict, but they bring so much harmony and goodness to the world. They have a capacity. <laughs> this is real life right here. Where was I? They have a capacity more than any number on the Enneagram to see the world through everybody else's eyes. This makes them world-class negotiators. In fact, Ian points out that Bill Clinton was a nine and enabled him to get elected president. During one of the town hall forums, George H.W. Bush was asked about the national debt. He answered with a linear, frustrated answer. Clinton interrupted him and said, can I just synthesize this? Ma'am, do you know anybody who's lost their job? How did that make you feel when they lost it? How did that make them feel? Well, that's really what we're talking about. He was basically saying, I feel your pain. And that empathy is at the heart of how nines operate. The danger is that they can also self forget. I asked Ian to unpack that. And he said they will merge with larger personalities in the interest of not asserting their own preferences and opinions and desires for fear that it might cause conflict and a rupture in relationship. So here's something dangerous that can happen with the Enneagram. Hey, can you turn on that lamp back there? Both of them. Ooh, it's toasty in here. Thank you. So one of the dangerous things that, that we can do with the Enneagram is just kind of like find our identity in our number. Hold on, this light just got super weird. And we can kind of use our number as a crutch. But what I have found really helpful with the Enneagram. Hey, did anybody resonate with the numbers that I read? Um, let me know in the comments. One of the dangerous things that we can do with the Enneagram is use it as a crutch. We can say like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a five and I can't help it. I get stuck in my brain. I think about stuff too much. And I really just can't help it. That's not really the purpose of the Enneagram. The Enneagram has helped me see my motivation a lot. It's helped me to see some areas that I struggle with that I didn't even know I struggled with. Why is, oh, I forgot to close ground. So I would encourage you, Ian Morgan Cron has a book called The Road Back to You that's on the Enneagram. I think my mom read it. Somebody else that I know read it. Um, but it's really helpful in just knowing what drives you. Does that make sense? Knowing what drives you, why really sometimes it's like why you are the way you are. <laughs> so, man, we have been doing this for 41 minutes right now, and we've stayed right around five or six viewers. That is just bonkers. So, with that being said, 
Hope you all liked this first live podcast. This was not easy to get going. I bought an audio interface. This was a webcam I've used with other stuff. But this was fun. Talking about Skillet, Josh Harris, the Enneagram. Uh, if there's anything you'd love to hear talk about on the next live podcast, let me know. Uh, until then, I will catch you on the flip side.